sit back, turn off all the distractions, and then just have to listen to what we got to say. Well, I say we instead of me, it's because I've got a very special guest for you today. When I started doing all my training in NLP and coaching, I was very lucky to come across someone who had gone on to strike up a very good friendship as well as business. And I'm going to present you to Vince Knight, who I'm actually going to get to answer your biggest burning questions for you. So let's uh, bring Vince in. So uh, good evening, Vince. How are you? Hi, John. I'm fine, thanks. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the questions. Yeah, well, thanks very much for giving up your time to do this. I really appreciate that. So we've got the questions here that are, you know, my inner circle have sent in, and we've picked what we feel are the top ten. But before the start, obviously, you don't know the full context behind what everyone's asking those questions. That's right. And and so there's obviously a disclaimer that has to go out. If I don't know the full context, you know, um, I can only give you best advice and suggestions. And now what I have to do is I have to sort of look at the question and, and try and figure out what it is that you're really asking. Um, I don't know anything about your situation. I don't know... You, you know, you might be in a hospital bed. You might be, uh, you might be being chased down the street by somebody with a knife. Um, in which case, I'd give you different advice. But what I have to do, I'm looking to answer the questions that you're asking, and I'm doing it from a perspective of there's value in the answers, and you can take that, and your unconscious can find the value in those answers. So listen to all the questions because all the questions have got answers to them, which really underline what it is that I do when I'm working with somebody. So whilst I, you know, I, I may not get exactly what it is that you're asking, the answer should hit the nail on the head. So let's not waste any time. Let's crack straight in there and get on with it. Um, first question, uh, Sharon asks, how do I know I'm good enough at my job without other people telling me I am? Okay, well, that's a good question to start with. Um, now, when I, when I start talking to people with this kind of question, I'm interested in what they already do that they do really well. And uh, there's a really useful model that I use, which is the gear model. And that essentially means that if you want to get good at anything, you've got to look at four areas. You've got to look at your goals for the area. You've got to look at the evidence. How do you collect evidence you're actually doing well at something? What are your actions? And more importantly, what are your recovery strategies for when things start going wrong? So how do you know you're good enough at your job? Well, the first question is, what, what are your goals in the job? Um, you know, is, is it that you're in sales and, you, and your goal is to sell X amount of widgets by the end of the month? Are you in human relations, you know, caring and sharing, looking after people, in which case your goal would be to reach out and help people? Depending on what your job specification is, you'll have a set of goals, and that's, that's a very useful place to start. Then you want evidence to actually know whether you're getting those things achieved or not. If you can actually look at the goals that you've got, and sales is an easy one. If you need to sell 25 widgets every month, um, you've got really good feedback there. You can tell whether you're doing your job, and you've got evidence. Then what I well then what I get people to look at is the actions that they take, the actions that they take which get them the results that they want, and also the recovery strategy. When it's not going as well as you want, so say you've got to sell 25 widgets, it's two weeks in and you've not sold one widget, what's your recovery strategy? Some people don't have one. And that's where they kind of fall down. Other people will go, well, we need to do this, and we need to double this, and we need to put more effort in for this, that, and the other. And, and they'll have a set of things that they do to make it happen. So I, I work with people. I look at the gear analysis, and I look at what they do. And I also look at areas of their life which they are successful at, which they are good at. And I actually get them to map it across. 
the other side of it is you can actually learn from others as well. If you've got a top salesperson in the, in the organization, you can do the same kind of thing. You can ask them what their gear is, and it gives you some answers that you may not have thought of. I would say as well, though, feedback is essential. Criticism is painful. So if you look at it from a perspective that you're getting feedback from other people, your life becomes a lot easier because you don't have to be defensive. Feedback is information that allows you to proceed and therefore change everything into feedback. Thanks very much, Vince. I mean, having done the gear analysis with you, it's definitely a great experience of noticing when I've done really well in one area of my life. You completely turned it around that why not just do that in this area where I thought I was struggling. So definitely, definitely some great advice there. Let's move straight on then to question number two. Judith asks, how do I stop my ex-boyfriend making me feel so bad? Okay, Judith. Well, the first thing you have to do is stop believing that anyone has that kind of power. Unless he's a brain surgeon and sticks needles in your head and shoots electricity into certain parts of your brain, he can't make you feel anything. There's a little thing that we work on, which is the cause and effect analysis. People tend to think just in cause and then effect. So they just think, this has happened, so I feel like this. When you actually break it down, something happens, and then in the space between the cause and effect, you have a choice. And it might be a very small space to start with. The more you practice, the better you get. But the idea is that there'll be a cause of something happens in the outside world, and you'll react to it. And then you'll respond to it, and that gives the effect. If you put choice between there, between cause and effect, you get much more of a result that you actually want. So how do you stop your ex from making you feel bad? Well, stop believing that that's true in the first place. The second thing is, look at what your response is to the stuff that you've been told. If he says, well, you do this, and da 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 and I feel so low, and I'm da 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 and then you feel bad, you've chosen that. It's a simple thing, but you can choose to feel something else. If, for example, I'll say to John, if I've got my hand in a pot of a saucepan with boiling water and I say to John, how do I stop my hand from hurting so much? He'll give me some very good advice, which is? Take your hand out of the bleeding pot. So, it's a, a case of if you look at it, how do you stop it? Well, maybe you need to put some distance between your ex and yourself, both physically and psychologically. Give yourself some space and also realise that just as he doesn't have the power to make you feel anything. You also don't have the power to make him feel anything. You're a free agent now, and you can actually just allow yourself to enjoy the fact that you can choose the response to what's happening outside. Again, some spot-on advice there. I mean, you've got to remember, you're always the one that's in control. It's your choice if you choose to give that control up to someone else. So just think, if you think a relationship's off balance in some way and someone's making you feel bad, just think, what can you do to put yourself firmly back in control of that situation? Right, let's move on to the next question. Dee asks, how do I take that first step to do new things as I feel so scared? Well, Dee, there are um, two types of advice I'm going to give you on this one. The first is practical advice, and that is basically, whatever it is you're looking to do, work out how you can minimise the risks. Learn about the task. Learn about people who've already done what you want to do. Find some of those, talk to those people, and you'll find that, actually, stuff that's scary, if it's already been done by other people, well, you know, there's a good chance that you'll be able to do it too and stay alive. 
when you look at mountain climbers, they minimise the risk. They don't just say, oh, well, I'll climb up a mountain today. They've got all sorts of ways and means of actually minimising that risk so that they get the best pleasure out of the situation and the task they're about to take on. The second thing I would advise you on is to actually learn how to choose your states and practice the best ones for the particular task you're thinking about. Going back to the previous question about uh, ex-boyfriends and blah, 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 it's really a case of if you can choose your state, and you can choose your state, so if you can learn how to choose your state, then you get the choice of how you feel. So maybe you want to feel confident when you're taking on this new thing. Uh, maybe you want to feel relaxed. Maybe you want to actually feel pleasure. Maybe there's all sorts of states that you might want to feel. But the scared one isn't really doing much for you, I don't think. So practice those other states. Again, yeah, no, I mean, fear over new things has always been a big thing with me as well. I remember if I go back five years, I used to just end up paralysing myself by thinking things to death where I just I couldn't actually take any action because I'd just gone to the scale of what's the worst that could happen. And, you know, it's good how I got into all this personal development stuff that it made me realise that, you know, I'm actually pretty good when I want to be. It's just a case of step up and actually get on with it. Right, next question. Dina asks, how can I stop feeling silly and going bright red when I'm the centre of attention? Okay, Dina. Well, um, I'd refer you back to the previous question. And, uh, and the answer's there. It's about practising powerful states. I'd also say that blushing itself is a sign from your unconscious and it's a very useful sign it's telling you that something is happening now I worked with a TV reporter and uh, she she had this very strange thing she used to do when she was asking questions and um, she'd flicker her eyes her eyes would start really flickering really quite fast and and she said well how do I stop doing that and I, I kind of thought well you know if I stop her doing that will it actually affect the the process that she's going through. So I asked her a couple of questions and as she started to concentrate her eyes started to flicker and I kind of pointed out to her that maybe the flickering is something that her unconscious does when it starts to process things and it would be quite useful to actually keep that processing because well uh, an interviewer who doesn't know how to think is kind of well probably ends up on ITV to be honest. But here's the thing what I did do with her was talking through things was actually say your unconscious is giving you a signal. It's, it's accessing stuff in a certain way. Is there any other way that your unconscious can access that process without doing the flickering of the eyes? And she actually nodded in an unconscious kind of way because we were just having a conversation after all. And I said, well, if it can find another way to do it, would it be able to do it? And she thought about it, but her eyes didn't flicker, which was kind of interesting. And she just clasped her hands together as she thought about it, which was a far better way of doing things. And she nodded, and her unconscious nodded at the same time, which was good. So one of the things I would suggest to you is work out with somebody how to access that. Now, obviously, John and I, we do this sort of stuff all the time. But find a way to actually get your unconscious to give you the signal of get ready to step up and speak out, as it were, which is what you're looking to do in another way because there's an adrenaline rush there's there's your body's getting ready to do something fantastic and you don't want to stop that but you also don't want to trip over it as well so it's almost a case of find a different sign in fact it is definitely a case of find a different sign and switch off the sign once you acknowledge that it's there so that you can get on with being as 
fantastic as you are. Another good thing is, again, I, I'm someone that back in the day I used to go bright red at anything. Even if I knew I was right, I'd go bright red. But what I started realising it was all because I started thinking too much. And I just remember finding out that if I assume the, person, the position of expert and stand there full well knowing that I know what I'm talking about, I don't have to think about it. And the moment I start thinking, that's when I started going, you know, feeling silly, going red, blushing, sweating, whatever. If I just trusted that when I opened my mouth, the right words were going to come out, I actually started getting better results that I didn't start feeling embarrassed all the time. So it's a case of just trust that you do actually know what's going to happen. Just trust that the right words will come out. That's a very good point. As well, I would also add breathe. Breathing's always good for this kind of stuff. Generally, it's a good life advice technique as well. Breathing keeps you longer alive. But taking the time to actually take a nice deep breath, and then that allows you to actually just put some oxygen in your brain, which may be what you're crying out for as well. So oxygen's always good as well. Another useful advice there. It's also reminded me another thing about it. If you're in a position where you need to be assertive, if you're thinking and talking at the same time, it's actually really irritating for the people that are listening to you. You're just talking word salad while you're thinking about what you want to say. You are actually better saying, stop, let me think for a minute, and then coming out with the right response. Anyway, let's move on to the next question. Carl asks, how can I create lasting habits around living a healthy lifestyle? Well, this is all about the enjoyment cycle. I'm going to ask a question. If you do something, if you do more of something, do you tend to get better at it? If you get better at it, do you tend to get better results? Usually people will sort of nod and say yes. If you get better results, do you enjoy doing it more? And again, if you're getting better results, you typically enjoy doing things more. And if you enjoy doing things more, do you do them more? Do you tend to do more of them? Again, people do this. It's a, it's a cycle. Now, here's the thing about creating lasting habits about living healthy. It's, a, it's quite a daunting idea, isn't it? But actually, what about starting to enjoy yourself more about living a healthier lifestyle? What is it that you actually love about being healthy? What is it that you could do right now to actually enjoy being healthy more? And that's a really useful question to ask yourself. Because if you think that living a healthy lifestyle is a little bit like those Rocky montages where you've got to like eat 10 raw eggs a day and jog around the grey streets of Philadelphia, well, I ain't going to do that because that just doesn't look like fun. Um, but if going for a walk with somebody that I love is going to be something that I enjoy doing, which I happen to, I'll do more of that. Thanks very much. So find out things that you enjoy doing, which also happen to be healthy, and do more of them. Stop giving yourself this big task and tombstone of a, I've got to be doing this for a healthy lifestyle because then I'll get to the end of my healthy life and I'll be thoroughly miserable but I'll be healthy when I'm dead. So there is a certain thing about you know what it is that you enjoy doing and you know what's healthy as well. So marry the two together because there is certainly a lot of fun to be had and there's a lot more fun to be had when you're healthy. Yeah, definitely agree with that there. You, know, you, you say healthy lifestyle there, Carl, but as Vince said, that comes down to what is your interpretation of a healthy lifestyle? You know, I, I could sit there and think, yeah, I need to lose a few pounds, but whenever I set up a diet plan, I don't enjoy doing it, so it doesn't work. And the main reason for that is I'm actually quite happy as I am. I don't, you know, the compelling reason for me to lose weight just isn't there for me at the moment. I'm actually very happy in my own life. 
So you've also got to look, as Vincent, it's about what's fun, the reasons why you're doing it, what's driving you to have that healthy lifestyle. I think if you can really click into that, you're going to get somewhere with that. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Philip asks, how can I stay focused and not let people commenting on what I'm doing bother me? Okay, Philippa, well, how can you do that? One of the great pleasures I've had in my sort of training and development lifetime has been to be an assistant with Paul McKenna Training. And, you know, they had big events, 500 people, all doing, you know, all sorts of life-changing personal development stuff. Really cool, really good fun. We're in the middle of one of the exercises, and I'm talking to somebody who's struggling. As, as an assistant, I'm helping her out, so... She's struggling to actually focus on this exercise because it's too noisy. Now, imagine there's a room with 500 people all gabbling away. It's a bit like a chicken farm gone crazy. And she can't concentrate. She can't focus. She can't... Because it's all going... It's all really noisy outside and everything around her. So I said to her, stop. Now, one of the reasons I said that was because I actually needed to focus because she was kind of like gabbling on and I was trying to figure out the answer to her gabbling on question. I noticed that it was noisy in the room as well. I took three deep breaths. I slowed down the internal dialogue and just allowed myself to drift off to a better place where it was actually quiet, calm and peaceful. And when I was there, I, I got a really good answer and it was something along the lines of, why don't you show her how to do what you've just done? So I did. And it's really a simple thing. Take three deep breaths. Allow yourself to actually get some oxygen in your brain. Another, you know, this, this whole oxygen in the brain thing is quite valuable. Get your state so that you're in a very focused, relaxed state. Practice that state. Now, one of the things that people try to do is do something fantastically the first time. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen. If you can practice focused, relaxed states again and again and again, get really good at it, enjoy it, and enjoy getting good at it. When you actually need it, It'll be there for you. But it's all about the practice. You can't just get it clicking overnight. It's not one of those things. And like that, you say, don't expect to always get things right for the first time. Just accept that by having a go, you're going to learn along the way as well. So it's, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Let's move on to the next question. Rosemary asks, how can I enjoy talking to new people without feeling shy? Okay, well... You know when you talk about stuff that you really love talking about, it becomes actually quite difficult to stop you. Uh, and this is what a lot of people do. I had a friend once who, who sort of said, oh, I'm really struggling to talk to women, and, um, and I'm going to these ballroom dances, and I'm struggling to talk to them. And I asked him, and I said, do you actually enjoy ballroom dancing? He said, can't stand it, but that's where the women are. And I said, well, you know, it's kind of a bit tricky to actually have a good conversation with somebody about something you can't stand and pretend to actually be interested in them. One of the answers, therefore, is go to the places where you know that people are interested in the same sort of things that you're interested in. Because it's then much easier to strike up a conversation about something that you're both passionate about. I asked him, what is it that you like? And he said, well, I love flying my private plane. I, I love flying. And I went, well, you know, there are people who actually enjoy that, too. Funnily enough, there are places where you can go and you can meet people and you can converse with them and you can... Basically, shyness is, is something that's just a waste of time. Okay? I go back to previous answers. Practicing solid, powerful states is also very useful. And another way to actually get good at talking to people and enjoying the process of talking is 
to actually become something of a social scientist. Get curious and actually be very curious. Be curious about how, if you say something in a certain way, people respond. If you maybe talk really fast and you're really quickly about things and just be a little bit, and, and be really quick, if you're talking like this, I'm really, 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 be very curious as to how the other person responds. They may run a mile, they may talk back to you in a very quick voice as well. You might have rapport with that person. It's one of those things. If you can be curious, you'll have more fun. More fun, you'll do it more. more you know, the more you do it, the better you get. So, curiosity, always a good thing to have. Again, I can empathise with the, the, particularly about the women thing. I, again, I used to be very shy around women. I went to an all-boys school, so I got to all of a sudden 16 and realised there's these girls out there and I didn't know how to talk to them. I, I put myself, made myself all really useless. And you know, I used to have to go out clubbing and dancing and stuff, which really wasn't what I enjoyed. You know, I was a big football fan. You know, it, it took me a while to realise that girls actually like football as well. And as soon as I started going into something I enjoy, I actually started meeting women who liked what I liked as well. So, you know, it's about do the things that you actually want to do. Don't do something because you're trying to impress some, someone else. You're just, you know, cheating yourself, really. You're never going to make yourself happy. Okay, let's move on to the next question. And this is a good topic that I really enjoy. It's uh, Patrick asks, how can I come across more charismatic when talking about something dull? Okay, well, here's your first answer. If you believe it's dull, it probably is. So how do you change that around? Well, start to believe that it's not as dull as you thought it was. You see, it's one of those things. There are people out there who study all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a market analyst once and, and he told me this incredible story about a guy who basically spends all his time analyzing the cement market. And he knows everything about the chemical makeup of cement, the manufacturers, where it's from, the political situations of the mining areas, all this stuff about cement bore the pants off me, but this guy's enthusiastic about it and comes across so. So get interested and get excited about the subject you're talking about. If you put some enthusiasm into it, it comes through. Because obviously, if people are listening to you and they hear the enthusiasm, that sets off things in their own brain. It's, you know, makes things a little bit more enthusiastic for them too. I would also suggest that you explore certain areas. Explore the humour of the subject that you're talking about. What actually is funny about this subject? You know, what can you, what can you create a laugh from? Look for where the humour is in the subject that you're talking about. Um, for example, with public speaking, there's, there's a well-known statistic that tells that people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of actually being dead. So that means that if you've actually got to talk at a funeral, you're more scared than the guy in the box, which is kind of weird, because he's actually gone further. So look for the humour. Look for what's funny. Give yourself some punchlines, and, and, and don't be afraid to just plagiarise and, and find the funny lines from other people, because let's face it, some of the best lines you'll, you'll ever hear have been passed on down through the generations. So find the humour. Find out what's, what's ecstatically funny about the subject that you're on about. Also find what's interesting about this. What's going to hook people in, you know? And that could be fascinating. You know, it was said that Michael Caine, for one of the movies where he had to learn how to crack an egg with one hand, and he spent a long time doing that. Now, I'm not really interested in Michael Caine or movies, but when I heard that, I thought, how could I... I, I you know, I started walking off on my own and figuring out how I could crack an egg with one hand. And sure enough, after many failed attempts and messes all over the kitchen, there's the ability to crack an egg with one hand. It looks pretty cool as well. 
So find something interesting. Find, find the interest angle. Also, the other side of it is find the controversy. What's shocking about the subject that you're going to talk about? Because if you can belt them with a headline that's shocking or interesting or funny, well, you'll, you'll hook them in and uh, that's going to be a way of getting your message across. So find those things. Engage with the audience as well. And I'd say also use words that fascinate, illuminate, and tantalize your audience. Because great words actually start people off as well. So there's a lot about it. But again, you've really got to look at how you can enjoy this subject more. That's where the key is. So just following on there, Vincent talks about use words that are interesting to your audience. And words are just one element of when you're communicating what you need to look at. You've also got to think about tonality. If you're sitting there saying something in a boring way, what's your audience going to do? You know, They're going to sit there and just take that on. If you're droning on, that's what they're going to think. It's boring. So make sure you're using an interesting, exciting tone that's going to keep them captivated with what you're saying. You can also do that by the third thing, which is your body language. Make sure you're energised, you're up, you've got the gestures going. That, you know, they want to see what this guy's going to do next because your tonality is also there keeping them captivated. The words you're using are excited and opening up their imagination. Just remember those three elements, words, tonality and your body language as well. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Sue asks, how do I change the feeling of being at an all-time low in my life? Hi Sue, well, damn good question and a scary one when you first read it, I have to say. Until you realise that when we've worked with people before who've been in this situation, the very first thing I actually start to teach people is that they've got a great system in place. They've got a great skill. Now, it sounds a bit weird to start with when I, when I actually congratulate them about the way they're feeling so miserable and so low. But I say, well, you know, I couldn't do it as good as you could I. And they're very proud of the fact that, no, they can't actually, you know, I couldn't do it as good as they could because they're the expert, they're the master at it. And therefore I can congratulate them on the skill of how to give themselves a reality which they completely and fully believe. And then I get them to flip the reality because... You know what it's like. If you're on Google and you ask a question, you'll get loads and loads of answers. If I'm on Google and I've done this, you type in, why is my life so shit? You'll get millions of answers. Now imagine if you had to go through every single one of those answers. Now, my patience is very, very limited, so I'd get past about 10 pages and then I'd go, oh God, can this get any worse? Now imagine type that into Google and get another million answers. And imagine you have to go through all that. This is a system. This is a system that's perfect. The only problem that you've got is what you're putting into the system, the questions you're asking. And we train people to actually start to ask better questions, questions that they may not have actually asked themselves in a very long time. Something along the lines of, what do I actually enjoy? What food do I enjoy? Now imagine this. I asked one person this, and they said, Diet Coke. And I was like, well, that's exciting. You really enjoy Diet Coke? Yeah. And then what is it about Diet Coke that you enjoy? It's tasty. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, I, I was getting to the thing, I was like, oh, how can this get any worse? And I was like, nope, I'll do a different thing. Now, by the end of the session, she was remembering foods that she used to eat as a child, and she's remembering films that she used to watch, and she was starting to tell me about the great pop bands that she listened to, and, and oh, have you heard that? Because we changed the system, because we started to put better stuff in there. So 
Start to ask better questions that basically fill your life with joy, with laughter, with peace, with strength, with all the stuff that you feel you're missing. Because I can guarantee that if you're looking for it, you'll find it. And the only problem that you've really got is that you're being, you've been finding the wrong stuff. The system you've got will find exactly what you want. You'll get what you focus on. It's a really good point. So as a human, you come equipped with a really good setup of really good at goal-seeking and achieving what you want. But if you're putting the wrong information in there in the first place, you're going to go and find that. So as Vince said, that was a great analogy of Google. Just think when you're typing something into a search engine, that's exactly what you get. And that's pretty much what you've got to do with your life as well to get out of this all-time low. Just think, what can I do to you know, move up to being feeling good? All right, let's move on to the next question. Trevor asks, how can I change my views that were shaped as a child by my parents and siblings making me feel so bad all the time? Well, this kind of goes back to question two, really. You know, how can I stop my ex from making me feel bad? I'll repeat the answer. First of all, stop believing that anyone has that sort of power. The second thing that you do is you look at the family dynamic and you look at the three roles that you may have played in that family. And this all goes back to a social scientist called Karpman who actually discovered that there are typically three main roles that, that family members will play. And it's a dynamic relationship. So some, uh, sometimes they'll play the perpetrator. They'll play the villain, basically. The, the bad guy, the shouty guy, the bully, the, the one who makes people do things. Or they may play the victim. And the victim is the helpless, damsel in distress kind of character. You know, oh, help me, help me, I'm feeble. Help me, help me. And of course, if you've got a victim and you've got a villain, well, you need a hero, don't you? You need somebody to rescue and save the day. So look at the family dynamics. And there will be times when you can identify that you were the hero. You saved the day. There will also be times when you were the victim. You got done over by somebody you know you got bullied you got shouted at you they made you feel bad there'll also be times when you were the perpetrator when you were the villain and you know you'll know when those times were those were the times when you actually got a bit of revenge for a change but it might have actually been quite painful for the person you revenged upon and so this triangle this dynamic triangle that happens it's it's rife through society you can see it everywhere the suggestion the advice to give to you is you can step above that. You can actually rise above that whole dynamic and decide that you're not going to play that game anymore. If you don't play the game, then you don't have to do all those things. You don't have to take on the role of the victim and feel bad because of this, that, and the other. Because the basic rules of the triangle are don't rock the boat. Because if you rock the boat, then the bully will be the bully, and you know, and the, the hero will have to be the hero, and the victim will have to be the villain. The victim, don't rock the boat, and keep the status quo. So those are the those are the rules of the family. So let's face it: Do you want to keep playing that game, a game that you can never win? There are ways out of it. There are ways that you can learn to escape from that triangle, from from that dynamic, and. Let's, I, I believe that it's actually one of the most powerful things that a person can do for themselves. Certainly when I look at the, the relationships I've been involved in and the, the way they perpetuate, the way that I can see certain characteristics passing on down the family line and, and I look at it and wonder, is there a way out of this? And I now know that there is and it's actually very refreshing. So step out of it, step above it, 
find, you know, and this goes back to question three about taking the first step to doing new things, which is basically minimize the risks, learn about the task of actually escaping this dynamic. Talk to those who've already done what you want to do. Get yourself some help. That's really the answer to that. But the good news is it can actually be done. That's really sound advice. It's really key for people to, to realise that your past doesn't have to be your future. If you want it to be, great, and you're just going to continue doing exactly the same thing. If you stop and actually look at what has happened in the past and think, what can I learn from this? That if this ever happens again, how would I do it differently? It's just so important that, you know, Vince, I know in his past, has his family issues. I've had my family issues, and they're certainly the hardest that you have to come over at times because you can choose your friends, you can't choose your family. It's just in case you remember, you've, you've got to put yourself first sometimes and think, what have I learned that means if this ever happens again, I'm not going to let the same bad outcome happen again. And very true as well is that whilst you can't choose your family, you can choose how you react with your family. One of the things that we're never told is that we've got a choice in which games we play. So if you want to play the same old game and get the same old results, because if you actually look back over your life, you'll notice that, it's the, it's the same game, isn't it? It's the same game with the same results. Maybe different players, but it's like watching a soap opera. It's tedious. And that's just because everybody's playing the game. So it's not anybody's fault that we're all playing this game. But we could all do with being a little bit less stupid. Well, that's it. That's the, you know, the top ten questions that you sent through to me. And thanks very much there, Vince, for your time and you know, actually looking through them and picking them. We really appreciate that. Vince, for you, is the biggest question around self-esteem that you find that you know you, you come across regularly? Well, pretty much we've covered we've covered a lot of what what I get asked in these ten questions. Um, the biggest question that I'm not asked, and this is the biggest question that I answer, is how do I actually take control? And it's the question that's underlined in all of these questions is is how do I take control? How do I get the control back? You know, um, how do I stop my boss from making me feel bad? How do I make my ex-boyfriend stop making me feel bad? How do I stop? How do I stop my own body from rising up and making me blush and look stupid? How do I get control? And actually, the thing about it is, everybody comes to us asking for this, that, or the other. And really, at the end of the day, they're looking for two things: they're looking for peace, and they're looking for a way forward. And that's really what we do for them. So, so the biggest question that's never asked is how do I actually get control? And I, to be honest with you, that's the one that we actually look to answer first. Well, let's go for the first question today. And the question is from Roy. Roy says, I'm out of vibrational alignment with what I want. Well, this is a very interesting question because I've been here too where you really know what you want, yet you keep fighting with what you're doing right now. And you can't get to what you want because you're too busy focused on what you don't want. So, for example, I had a couple of experiences in my life where, first of all, I went through a phase of I really want to earn £100,000 a year. And at the time, I was earning £20,000 a year. Yet, instead of looking at what someone who earns £100,000 a year does and what that entails, I kept battling with the £20,000 a year day. And so I was doing the things 
that irritated me about a twenty thousand pound day, and I just kept fighting against them. I didn't accept that that's where I was right now and start moving to what I wanted. I just had this fight constantly, where I made the twenty thousand pound day. £20,000 a year day more significant than it needed to be and because of this all my focus and effort was actually fighting with where I am right now instead of moving to what I wanted another example of this was a bit later in my career um, and as the more you know about me is when I lost my dad at the age of 27 all of a sudden my life changed massively where I didn't really want to focus on work anymore it wasn't important to me what was important to me was getting over my chronic shyness of being around women and I was in this horrible situation where I was really senior manager in what I did and I was obviously interacting with women every day from a work point of view but I had to be this shell identity of being this big strong powerful manager who could talk and communicate with anyone inside I was just really scared of talking to women so it wasn't being congruent at all so that was a complete out of vibrational alignment and what actually happened, it got to the point where to, to move on in my life and actually get to save back to this £100,000 day, I needed to step out of my current life and go and sort out this shyness around women. So I actually quit my job and made a point of actually getting used to being around women and just learned some skills, got some coaching about it. So when I actually stepped back into my career, all of a sudden I was further up the ladder than when I left because I was actually becoming more my core identity instead of the shell person of, you know, I was John, I went and did my nine to five every day, then came home and did some more work and sacrificed my own happiness. But it wasn't what I wanted. That was just what I thought the world wanted me to do. It's thought it was what was expected of me. But my real vibrational alignment that I wanted was to sort out this gap in my life of you know how to be confident and not shy around women, which obviously happened to me in my youth at some point. I missed that learning curve. But having now sorted that out, everything I've done since then is a lot more congruent with me, where I feel a lot more comfortable being me. I don't have to put on a fake facade of being a, a, a powerful manager. So the challenge I give back to you there, Roy, is if you know what you're out of vibrational alignment with, you know what you want. What I want you to do is stop fighting with where you are right now and just accept that that's your situation. And then instead of looking back at where you are right now, just look forward and focus on what it is that you want and ask yourself, what's this one thing you can do that will take you a step closer to being where you want to be and a step further away from where you are right now? It doesn't have to be massive. Just get that first bit of momentum going because it's like a snowball effect. Once you're moving, it's easy to keep going. Unless you've started, it's hard to keep yourself going, get yourself moving in the first place. So I hope that one clears that one up for you, Roy. Okay, next question. I'm a leader, but I do not reach my full potential because they make me feel that I am dumb. What do I do because I'm intelligent and I do not want to hinder myself to be a successful person? And that's from Clyde. Well, first of all, just reading that question where you say they, who are these people? Because where you use they, you're making these people very significant and relevant to you. You're letting these people tell you what you think and you're letting these people basically knock you down. And they're the ones telling you that you can't reach your full potential. Now, again, I've had this, that I went from winning a big award in my career from Sir Roy Gardner. I went out to Paris, got a VIP weekend out there, and I won this big, nice, shiny trophy. It was handed to me by Joanna Lumley and met Sir Roy and had this great weekend. But when I came back, I was all of a sudden told I'm not good enough at my job. And this was all because someone that I actually beat 
them to the award they lost out to me and all of a sudden they decided that they've got the power to take control of my career and I let them and that was the the kind of where my career started changing at that workplace because I kept fighting with them instead of focusing on what I was good at of what won me the award so all of a sudden I made that person and me proving them wrong more significant than me doing my job to a good level and I didn't need approval for that I knew I was good at what I was doing but also because I gave someone the power I made them more significant and more relevant than I should have done and because that's what I focused on that's what I got I got a fight with them and my work results suffered as a result because I took my eye off the ball so be careful who you give power to and what you make significant and relevant and just make sure you focus on what it is that you actually want to do now the other thing you put on there as well is, is that you yourself you know you know you're an intelligent guy and you said that you want to be successful well success is down to what you make it it's your interpretation of success because success for me my in my life is to work as little as possible for as much money as possible and to have a good family life where i'm not stressed now that is my idea of success but for someone else it might be being that md of a big global brand earning hundreds of million pounds a year it all comes down to what your definition of success is but no one can tell you that uh, Clyde that's completely down to you and the other thing is that you said you're intelligent and the only thing I'll come back to you again you've labeled yourself as intelligent and that's great because that's a very positive thing to have but just remember knowledge is power and it's great if you know a lot of stuff and you know it in real life because you've got a good experience to context any decisions that you make against which again that's where confidence and courage comes from but knowledge is only power if you use it if you're sitting there going well i know the answer to that but i'm not going to say anything because they should know this already or you're just keeping it very internal to yourself and you're being very introverted about it then that knowledge is actually powerless it doesn't mean anything if it's only you that know about this and you're not actually doing it to move yourself forward so Instead of just thinking, if you're, if you're taking intelligence as knowledge is power, just make sure you change that to knowledge is power when you use it. So again, I hope that one clears that one up for you, Clyde. Okay, next question from Helen. And Helen's saying is, I feel so full of guilt and shame from my past. Well, this is an interesting one. Uh, let's start. Let's start with... Tony Robbins, the great Tony Robbins, said that the quality of your life is in the quality of your communication. And what he meant by that, he doesn't mean about how you communicate with other people. First of all, he means about how you communicate with yourself. Because you can't go and help other people unless you've sorted yourself out first. You've got to think about it. It's like commenting on, say, if your house is really dirty and messy, yet you're quite happy to go and comment on the mess that someone else's house is in. It's just not congruent. It's not fair. So you're not getting the right quality of messages into your life. And that's leaving you where you are right now. Now, the good thing is that where you are right now is actually good because you managed to live and breathe for this long in your life, no matter how old, how old you are and whatever's happened. But the more that has happened to you, it means that you've had a lot of real world experience. And it's how you communicate this real world experience that tells you where you are right now. So if you imagine that you're like some big filter that no matter what happens in the world, there's only one person that ever records this into your memory and that's you. 
And it's about how good your filter is. Because if your filter is set to negative, and at the moment, Helen, you're saying it's on a lot of guilt and shame from the past, that everything that tends to happen to you, at the moment, your filter is about guilt and shame. So every experience you have is just reinforcing that guilt, guilt and shame for you. What I would like you to do is imagine you've got this box on front of your face and you can put it like a bullshit box because it's not real. It's just how you're coding your messages that whatever comes in, if you imagine it's coming through your eyes or your ears or it's a feeling, imagine it's got to come through this filter that it's only allowed to be recorded into a memory once you've found something positive in it. No matter how bad it seemed, whatever's happening, or you just take some learning from it that maybe you go, if that ever happened again, I would handle this situation differently and I would do it like this. Or straight away you might go, actually, I can see this is wrong and I'm going to do this right now and change that memory so it doesn't actually, the story doesn't end there. And what you'll notice is that it happens is that when you do this once and you feel a bit better, you'll start doing it every time. It's like a trained habit. It's a new pattern of behavior. The moment your pattern of behavior is guilt and shame. I just want you to change your pattern of behavior to learning instead of guilt and shame. And just notice what happens when you do this filter. So go ahead and try that for me, Helen, and drop me an email. Tell me how you got on with that, because I'd love to hear. Okay, who's next? Okay, we've got an email here from Brenda. I find that volume... I find that voice volume and elocution is personally a problem. Before speaking, I actually doubt if I would get heard. Forming short, sharp sentences is also difficult, hence it's often a challenge to hold someone's attention. I never experienced this when I was a child, but I'm convinced that it's developed due to fear and low confidence. Okay. The problem is you probably, again, reinforce this message to yourself that you, you speak quietly or someone maybe sent, said that to you once and it's formed some sort of belief. And again, you've got this pattern that you just don't expect that this is going to happen when you, you know, stand up to speak. You just expect that you're going to get a poor result. Now, what I want you to do again is break this pattern and say no to that belief. What I want you to do is practice hearing your own voice. And it's a big problem I have with people, particularly um, my background is in sales, as I've said before. The amount of people, particularly when I was in telesales, that were too scared to speak loudly and just couldn't do it. And it was almost as if they were scared of their voice. So what I used to do is actually take them down to a meeting room downstairs and just make them shout really loud to take them to one extreme from the other to realize just how loud they can be. Because the thing really interesting when, about your voice and how you pronounce and communicate with the world is that if there's some sort of stats that says that of, out of 100%, 7% of the words that you actually use, 30-odd percent uh, is to do with tonality, and the rest is to do with body language. So if you're sitting down slumped in a chair, your tonality is going to be more drained, and you're going to use more rubbish words because you're not as energized. So if people aren't hearing you, try looking at how your body language could be more animated, or think about what kind of tonality that you could use. That if you're going, oh, I feel really good, or hey, I feel fucking brilliant, there's two big differences between how they come across and how they sound. And that's because you've got to put the body language into it you've got to put the tonality in there and it's you've got to be what you actually want it's, it's be the result that you want to see in the world it's that it's that famous gandhi quote be what you want in the world now if you want to be seen that you want to be someone that's heard and people really look at and go wow that person's really charismatic on the sea you've got to put that effort in and be that so, as I said, going back to it, the problem is you've probably got this belief that you can't do that. So what I would like you to do is go find a quiet space, maybe outside or a room somewhere where no one can hear you, and just let it all out. 
absolutely let rip you know, whatever's bothering you because once you've actually seen that you can be loud and you can talk in the way that you want to it, it's you've kind of got the momentum going that I've talked about before and once you've got a little bit of belief that you're capable of doing these things you'll just keep going and going because it's the snowball effects there so just go try it scare yourself with how loud you can be be really passionate about what you want to do and just really go for it because it, it's amazing how this happened it, it happened to me once I used to just assume all the time that people didn't want to hear from me so I never bothered saying anything and this led to me that folks know my story I completely exploded at work one day called my boss to see where I threatened to punch him and ultimately that was the end of my career at that place because I just bottled up so much stuff that I just exploded like a bottle of pop but finally what my boss did say to me went finally it's about time we actually saw the real John come out there someone who was speaking with passion that had a belief of what he was talking about and I actually got a lot more respect even though looking back and maybe you know, it's quite funny now because it's turned out very well for my life but it was that first moment where I stepped up and spoke out for what I wanted and I let rip and I just let people know how I felt and I did get a lot more respect back from people instead of just thinking I was some sort of walkover and they could always knock me down and just tell me what to do all of a sudden they were listening to me they're like this guy's got something to say you're obviously right about it because look at the passion look at the energy coming out of him and it turned, it turned into a good thing for me. So once you've just got to grasp it and step up and break that pattern at the moment, if you think you're quiet and people can't hear you, you've got to just say no to that. Just step up and go for it. So again, I really want to hear, actually, from you. I want you to go and do this, Brenda, and just let me know how you get on, because as I say, I think you're going to really enjoy it and actually scare yourself a little bit of just how loud you can be. Brilliant. Fantastic, that one. So we've got next, Jennifer. The biggest problem is being outgoing. I'm too quiet, reserved, and I don't like it. Well, that's cool, because if you don't like being quiet and reserved, then it's your perfectly entitled to change that. But what you want to mean, no one's telling you to be quiet and reserved at the moment. That's your choice. And that's cool, because if you accept that as your choice, it means that you can choose to do what you want. So it's similar to what I said to Brinda in the last question about just go and express how you feel. And a good starting point for you, I think, would be pick something that you want to be more outgoing about. So, for example, with me, I'm a big Spurs fan. I can talk football till the cows come home. And I can be very passionate about it. I can sometimes be overly aggressive about my opinions on it. But I can defend a player to the hill, I can defend a club to the hill, or I'll be adamant on the point if someone's done really badly. But the point is, I'm outgoing about it because it's something I know about. It's something I'm very experienced about. I sat and watched Spurs for 23 years, week in, week out. I learned quite a bit about football, particularly Spurs. So when someone's got an opinion on it, I love getting into a debate about it. I don't need to be quiet and reserved because I have full confidence in what I'm talking about because it's on a subject where I've got a lot of real-world experience to context it again. I read about football every day. I always get the Spurs news. I speak to other Spurs fans and we'll go through a match of what went well, what went badly, how players performed. It's one of my loves in life. It's my, my little getaway that I can hide for two hours, whether we win, lose or draw. It's my getaway from life that nothing else matters when this is going on. So what I just use, if you don't want to be so reserved... 
and quiet and you want to be a bit more outgoing, pick something you love doing that you're passionate about and just focus on that about being more outgoing. You don't have to worry about anything else. It's just do the things that you love and be the person you want to be. Because it seems still, if you want to be an, you know, a reserved person on what you love, cool. If, that, if that's who you are, there's nothing wrong with that. But just do what you love and you'll find that you'll be less reserved because you're doing something that you actually want to do and you know about. So again, let me know what subject you've picked there, please, Jennifer, and get back to me, because again, I'd love to hear how you get on with that. Okay, my own worst enemy is myself. I put myself down constantly, constantly even. I'm very self-destructive to my mental health. Uh, kind regards, Ali. Okay, Ali, well, at least you've acknowledged there that what you're doing is a very negative behaviour. And hey, there's nothing wrong with it, because if it's what you want to do, do it. There's, there's no right or wrong in how you live your life. The difference is, if you're doing something that you know is making you unhappy, then you do need to break that pattern and change it and try something else. So what do we want to do on this one? Uh, let's have a quick think. <laughs> if you're putting yourself down, okay. I bet you, Ali, if I asked you, tell me the three worst experiences in your life, you could tell me at a drop of a hat straight away. And if I could tell you, ask you three things you don't like, I bet you could ask, tell me straight away. And if I said to you three people that really get on your nerves, I bet you, you could tell me straight away. But if I asked you, what's your three favourite moments in life? I bet you, you have to stop and think about it. If I asked you three people you really respect... But you have to stop and think about it. And if I had to ask you three things that you love, what's like, what's your favourite food? What's your favourite three drinks? I bet you have to stop and think about it. But again, if I asked you, what's your favourite food? Don't you like? I bet you, off the drop of hat, you could tell me all three. Because again, you've got this pattern of behaviour where your brain and your whole neurology is focused on focusing on the negative in things. So you've always got this immediate reaction to say, no, 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 I don't like this, I don't like that, rah, 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 rah. But you never actually stop to look at what you do want, because in life you reap what you sow. If you're constantly always looking for the negative in things, your human nature is goal-seeking. It will make it happen. It will come and find these things for you. So what I'd like you to do is just play this game of threes. That think of three things that you love doing. Think of three people you really admire. Think of your three favourite TV programmes. What's your three favourite drinks? What's your three favourite Chinese food dishes? What's your three favourite pizza toppings? But just get into this habit of asking yourself three times of three things that you love doing. Just notice how that you feel completely different. That your body feels slightly more energised and your language becomes a bit more passionate and you've probably got a little bit of a smile on your face as you're doing it. Just try these things and you'll notice very quickly that you'll go from being putting yourself down, self-destructive and damaging your mental health to someone who's really fun to be around, generally is excited to get out of bed in the morning and is just constantly looking for the next bit of fun in their life and you're a happy person and I do believe it can be that simple but it's just like it's a bit of exercise. You know, if you took someone like, say, Wayne Rooney, he didn't just wake up and become one of the greatest footballers England's ever had and scoring lots of goals. He had to put the effort in and train every day and practice. When there's a great piano player, it's very rare that they wake up, you know, 
they come out of their mothers and they sit at the piano and they're just an instant genius. They have to practice at these things. So things don't happen overnight, but it's like building a muscle. And the more you do it, the stronger you'll get at it. So Ali, what I like to do is play the game of threes and just notice how different you start reacting. If you do this just for five, ten minutes every day, just keep picking three things and just as quick as possible naming three things and a positive answer. Okay, I'm just so scared about everything. So scared to fail, but how will I know I fail? How will I know if I fail when I'm most scared to try? I'm just so desperate. I just think I'm so worthless as a person. Okay, this comes down, Aloha. This, uh, that was your name, by the way. I wasn't saying Aloha and being all uh, Hawaiian. What this is, is the you don't ever make a decision. I bet you're someone that just can't make a decision. You're always looking at what's this person saying, that what do you think they want you to do? You're making a lot of assumptions of what the world expects of you or what a particular person expects of you. And this is why you're feeling quite bad about it and being very self-destructive because you're trying to play other people's games all the time. You're not playing your game. And the problem is, you, you know, is if you're always playing someone else's game, you never win because if you get close to winning, they're in control, they can change the rules. You've got to turn it around to be doing the things that you want to be doing. And ultimately, I think you've got to make a few decisions. And again, think back to the game of threes. That's all about exercising that decision making of picking three things and getting quicker. And the quicker you can make decisions, the more you'll get confident, the more confident you are, the more courageous you can be to step up and actually do things that you want to do. And you don't have to do things that are massive. You just have to take a little baby step and realize that it's not that bad. A lot of the times when people get a lot of stress and anxiety is because they overwhelm themselves that the the images of what's going on in their head becomes worse than real life. So, for example, if you took a spider phobic, they'll see a spider and all of a sudden the end of the world's about to happen. They think this thing's going to jump up, bite them and eat them to death. When in reality, a tiny little spider is probably more scared of this giant acting like a big baby next to them. And all that's going on is that you're creating the fear in your head and it's kind of this filter that I've said that if you create this filter of how to run a program called fear of when I see a spider, you're going to kick into that every time because you know how to do it. What you need to start doing is making decisions about how to act in, into what you want to do, that you're just trying, having a little bit of fun, having an experiment and there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback that the more you do things in the real world, the more you actually learn because you've got something to context it against. So instead of just overthinking things and never actually getting anywhere because you're always coming up with every single reason why you couldn't possibly do something what I like you to do is just to say I'm going to make a decision on anything within two seconds and whatever I'm asked to do you've got to decide to do it sorry whatever you're asked to do you've got to do it within two seconds it's either yes no or you can walk away and don't care about it and if by default you can't say the positive thing that's going to say yes or no to taking that action, you, you get the, the default answer that is kind of the negative and that you've got to walk away from it. So what I want you to do is to realize you've got a true choice in whatever you do. There's no such thing as a failure. There's only feedback. You can only learn by taking action. And I don't want you to stop overthinking things. I want you to just take two seconds to make any decision that you need to make. Need to make. Okay, next question. My partner controls things. He's led me up the garden path. After 22 years, I found out he has a mortgage with his ex-partner. I found out three years ago that he's still done nothing to resolve this, and that's from Maxine. Okay, well, the problem here is that you are relying on him. You're letting him take control of the situation where you're saying he's still nothing 
to res- I'm not going to resolve the situation. Well, that means you're playing his game and leaving him in control because he seems to have no ultimatum from you of what are the consequences of not taking action. You seem quite happy just to, to let this continue or you're sitting there frustrated and not stepping up and speaking out for what you want in this situation. So first things first is that you can't blame him or give him responsibility for nothing happening. You've got to take that responsibility yourself. You can't change other people. You can only change what you're doing in the attempt to then influence their behaviour. You've got to go there first yourself. So if there's an issue that your your partner's not doing what you want to do and there's something you're not sorted out and you're tolerating it, you're putting up with this, you've got to take that element of responsibility in that. So, for example, I, I can look in my career where... I said that I got very frustrated at one point and I let someone take over what I was doing and my whole focus became on this person not giving me a promotion instead of focusing on my job and instead of focusing on my job and getting the results and proving I'm good enough it all became about arguing with this person instead and then I wondered why I didn't get the result I want because I just entered into a battle with that wasn't actually what that person was wanting me to achieve in the first place. It's I just completely took my eye off focusing on what I did want and sat there and did nothing about that because I was too busy arguing of why is this person having a go at me? Why is this person causing me a problem? So it's you, you've got to just stop that happening. You've got to take control of the situation and stop letting him just do nothing as it seems about it or you've got to get to a point where you understand why nothing's happened on it and and there's a reason about it and if if there's a mortgage there that that's got to be paid for there's no getting out of that in an easy way it's obviously just a case of how you're sorting it out but it's it's if you want to be with your partner you've you know you shouldn't it shouldn't be on terms of where you're unhappy in that relationship where you're sacrificing your happiness just to keep someone else happy as as i've said before you've got to make sure you're you're doing the things that you love doing to make yourself a happy person so when you are together in your relationship the time you, you have together is because you both mutually want to be there and if you don't well, you need either need to stop being together or you need to find a way of working out where both of you are coming from and, and listening to each other. So it's not a case of one person's leading the other one up the garden path. It's you're both quite clear on what you want and where you're going and you're going to help each other get there. And it doesn't mean you've got to do everything together. You can both have your, your own paths that you go down. It's just a case of whether you're supporting each other in what you're both trying to achieve example like my wife wasn't overly keen when I talked about uh, giving up my job to, to, to go back into coaching because first of all my first coaching business failed and I had to go back into full-time work and that was a very tough time because I went from earning a lot of money to having no money to the point where I couldn't even pay the bills next month because I didn't know how to get clients at the time to to then turning around getting a full-time job where you know, I was back to having money and we were able to afford everything again and having a nice lifestyle and then when I talked about giving that up again you know she, it, it scared her because she didn't want to go back so it, I had to get to the point to get to understand that why it was important to me to, to have my own business of what I wanted from my life that was part of my happiness but at the same time I had to work out from her that she needed the security as well because she didn't want to be stressing about the money element and so what we compromised is that I would do it part-time, that I would keep my job as part-time so the money was coming in, enough money was coming in to pay for everything. Well, the same she would then support me and let me you know, understand that I had to work into evenings and do coaching at unsociable hours, so to say, not as usual nine-to-five jobs, because that's how self-employment works. 
And so we kind of came to some compromise that I didn't go all in again with the Maverick answer. I did it as a part-time project and then ramped it up instead of going all in as I did the first time. And she was happy. It allowed her to relax. And at the same time, she, she gave a little bit and understood of why it was important to me to, to run my own business. So if, if you're saying that you're letting one person in the relationship control things, you, you've got to come to some sort of compromise. And if nothing's happened when you want it to happen, you're, you've got to look at yourself first. You've got to be the change that you want to see in the world. And ultimately, you know, you've got to show the behaviours that allow your partner to sort this out of what's going to happen with this mortgage with this ex-partner. So I hope you found that one useful, Maxine. Okay. Okay, next email is from Shashank. Thank you for your email, Shashank. And it says, I'm not able to concentrate on my career. I have lots of deviation in my life. I can't study. Please help me out. Okay. What sounds like it's going on is you're someone that wants to get a lot done, and that's great, but you start getting overwhelmed when you try to do too many things. Again, I've been here, as I just said, uh, uh, when I was working full-time and then introduced to part-time while setting up the same business, I had to be very controlled and time was of the essence because I could have been working all through the night trying to get my part-time business up and that meant I wouldn't have been spending time with my wife. So I've, I've one of the techniques I teach people is about having a perfect average day. And that's actually working out what do you actually want to do on a normal average day, what's important to you. So for me, it's spending my time wisely because of the time, something you only get once at one off. Once it's gone, it's gone. You don't get that time again. So spending my day wisely was important to me and not getting so stressed out about time was also important. So I stopped wearing a watch, for example. But spending time with my wife, no matter what else was going on in the day, was important. So we always made sure that we sit down at the table and have dinner together. That whatever happens once a day, we sit down for at least half an hour to an hour and talk to each other and just chill out and not be worried about what else needs doing or what's going on. But at the same time, I didn't want to be working stupid hours. So what I had is a very defined list of you know, way of working out what needs doing and what's important. So in terms of setting up a business, it could be, right, I want to work out all my services and things like that when I hadn't done the research. So what would be important is to go and do the research and not worry about the next bit. So it, it is what I call it the rule of one. It's pick that one thing that you need to do and you do it until it's done. And <clears throat> excuse me, it's great that you can have a to-do list of all the things that you need doing. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's about how you then prioritize it to, to make sure that things are getting done in the right order and you're not flim-flamming between the two. That it's uh, in, in business, I guess it's called a critical path analysis, that if job A needs doing before jobs B and C can be doing is get job A done and don't worry about jobs B and C till they're done. Don't look, concentrate on them because all your effort and focus needs to be concentrating on getting job one done. So at the moment, it says you're trying to concentrate on your career and that's great, but then you've got lots of deviations. So I don't know what that could be. Is that family? Is that relationships? Uh, do you have to look after someone? Are you committed to a, a sports club? It's all cool, but you've got to work out from the rule of one which one is the most important thing for you to get done that's going to give you the happiness that feeds into everything else. Because if you put that as the priority, I feel like everything else around that, you'll be happier and you'll feel more in control so you can get lots of other things done. So as I say, it's called the rule of one. It's just something that's very, very powerful for me that if I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed and I've got a lot to do, I'll just look and I'll go, right, that's the one thing I need to get done. So I'm just going to park everything else up. I'm going to put it out of, out of sight for now. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm just going to get this done. 
Now, I also get at the same time, there might be things that you ha- you have to do on a daily basis to stop them becoming an issue. So while focusing on the other thing, you might have to say, right, I'm going to put aside an hour each day. I've got a couple of other things that need doing. So there's a technique here that Michael Neal came up with called time boxes, where, for example, what I have to do every day is I, I try to put... Um, I try to write an article and put that out. And, you know, I've got quite good at doing this, so I can write an article in about 15 minutes, and then it takes a couple of minutes to put it on the internet somewhere. And it's important to me, one, that my list, uh, you know, my inner circle still gets great content from me, and also I get to find new members. So when running a business, that's that's an important activity. But I might have other things that's more important going on. That's just something I need to do every day. So what I use is time boxes where I go, right, I'm going to do this task for 15 minutes and I'll put a timer in front of me and I'll kick that timer off and I'll spend 15 minutes doing something. And then when the buzzer goes off, I stop and I go, right, do I want to do another 15 minutes or am I going to walk away from this now? And I made a decision. And if I then choose another 15 minutes, great. If I don't, I leave it till next time I need to come back and do a bit of work on it. But what that kind of, what happens using that technique is you've got everything ticking over nicely. It's not ruling your world. But the biggest thing is that it's not turning into a big fire because you haven't got something done. There's not a bit of work that's being left it turns into a big fire. So what you're constantly doing is about fire prevention to stopping something becoming an issue and you're not dealing with it when it becomes an issue and becomes far more successful where you're just trying to put a fire out but not actually stopping the root cause. So uh, I hope that's useful there if you've got a lot of deviation and what you're trying to go focus on. What I suggest to you is that you use the rule of one to, to just prioritise the big things that you want to get done in your life of what's important and hang everything else off that. And then if you've got other things that you do need to keep ticking over and keep doing, use time boxes where you allocate a certain amount of time, put the timer on and you just do it and then stop at the end of that time box. So I hope you found that useful. I do get back to you on that one, Shashank, because uh, I do love to hear things about time management. It's a little bit of a geeky thing of mine, as I said, because of how I structured my life to, to make sure I could work part-time, full-time, and then go into a... Uh, run a coaching business and then go back into doing that full-time and self-employed you know it's juggling a lot of plates so please do let me know about that one okay let's look at the next question and it's from Kath the lack of belief that I can find a new career in life which I haven't driven to pursue that satisfies me and that I can become successful with okay um to me, this sounds like a model that I want to give you for this one, and I call it the wisdom versus the achiever model. Now, in the workplace, you also have very different people, and sometimes you have people that just quietly get on there, go with their job, and don't need other people to tell them they're doing a good job. And then sometimes you have those other annoying people that have constantly got to be seen to be busy, they've got to keep telling everyone that they're really busy, and they're all about, you know, kind of, for want of a better phrase, brown-nosing the, the people in power just to make sure that these people in power are aware of how busy they are. And they think that they can do it and by putting down the people who are quiet. But that's kind of the achiever model of life. And the achiever model of life is that you've got to constantly be achieving to be seen as a success. And to be a success, someone's got to tell you you're doing a good job. You need that external validation from someone else that you're okay, you're doing a, you're doing a good job. You need those like little doggy biscuits of approval to say, yeah, yeah, you're doing a good job, well done. And because you're always looking for this approval, you've got to make sure that you are constantly seem to be busy. Someone might comment on what you're doing and people have always got to know what you're doing. So it may seem that you're always busy. And 
you think that by putting other people down that you're making yourself look better but really that's just smacks desperation and all you're actually doing is probably just winding up this other person who just probably turn around and feel sorry for you because I say that, that used to be me I used to be a complete achiever model person of I just work 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 and always looking to achieve but the problem is, is if I wasn't achieving I didn't think I was doing a good job so I started getting stressed that I wasn't doing a good a good enough job I'd start working harder and then become you know so run down and stressed out that I couldn't actually do my job and I got to the point one day where I just couldn't get out of bed I'd been working 24-7 for about like two months solid and I woke up one day and I just rubbed my boss and said I can't get out of bed today and and that really for me was where things got to change I had to look at a different way of living my life and this is where I started looking at what was more the wisdom model what occurred to me is that I have a lot of self-belief in myself because I know I've done a good job. I can look up through and through my life. I don't need anyone to tell me I'm a good person or what I did wrong in my past or what I've done right in, in my past to get me where I am today. I just accept that I've had a good life, that I've learned things along the way and I've made mistakes. The difference is that I learn from my mistakes and what it's allowed me to do is get into the position where I'm a bit wiser that I know that as long as I keep taking action and trying new things, I'm going to keep learning. And the more I learn, the wiser I'm going to get. So when I'm going into something that I might feel slightly nervous about doing and not sure if I'm going to get the result I want straight away, it, it doesn't bother me because I know that if I don't get the result I want, I'm going to find out how to get that result I want. And if I was an achiever model stressing about whether I was going to succeed or not, I probably wouldn't have taken the action. I'd probably get myself so wound up in, into a state of panic that I just wouldn't actually have done anything. Whereas the wisdom model, you actually get more done in a more relaxed, fun way because it's like a little experiment what you're doing where you're thinking, I'd rather just throw this out there, get things moving, and then get the result I want because as, as once the momentum starts, I'm actually going to have to get somewhere. So I think in the case of you want to find a new career that driven to pursue, well, what do you love, Kath? What is your ideal job that you would love to do? And what is it that is going to enable you just to relax? And I said in an earlier, excuse me, earlier question about how I could talk football to the cows come home. Well, you know, there are certain things in corporate life that I can talk about till the cows come home. And that's why I had a very successful career in it. And I enjoyed doing it because I enjoyed doing the new things that I started out as an analyst who became a telesales agent who became quite a senior manager who moved into corporate sales. And for me, it was all about that learning and growth of how to communicate and influence people. And that's what I was enjoying learning and finding out about. It wasn't really about being a senior status within a company. That's all I learned is that you just get more and more work if you do that. I actually realized there was things that I loved doing that I wanted to do. And so that's the track I went down where I stepped more away from being a senior manager into doing corporate sales because I really enjoyed going into these situations of the unknown, trying to negotiate with people to get them on board and turn them around. And at the time I went from working for a big Goliath of a company that everyone knows to a tiny little David of a company. And I had to go through with you know, how did David beat Goliath? And he didn't do it by, you know, Goliath turned up to battle with David, ready to battle and cross swords before a battle, because that's the etiquette. David picked up a load of stones, stuck him in his slingshot, and smacked him between the eyes, because David's etiquette was, if someone's attacking my sheep, if there's wolves coming along, I'm going to kill the damn wolf. So all David did, you know, it, it, it's, there's an expected etiquette of how you should act. And that's 
something that no one asked you to accept that that's just seemed to be the dumb thing but if you play to your own rules to get what you want you'll suddenly realize that that's how you kill these giants that's where the phrase giant killing came from so just have a think about that that if you're on the achiever side of the model how can you get yourself over to the wisdom side of that model next question is from sam i could hear from you again sam and Sam asks, I'm struggling to believe in myself and I lack a confidence of a big exam I have coming up. Okay, well, I think that's that last answer I said about the wisdom achiever model. So what if you don't achieve? What does it mean that someone's not giving you a bit of, a bit of paper to tell you're good enough at something? Really, you know whether you're good enough at something and you don't need a piece of paper to tell you. Sure, there might be formalities of why you're doing the exam. I'll just step back there. If you're not confident that you can pass an exam and what it's leading you for well look at the enjoyment you're doing this exam for a reason no one's forcing you to do it and if you are going to do it well do it in a way that's fun for you because you're reaching that end purpose and what potentially is happening here is your motivation is slightly wrong where instead of looking at what this exam is going to give you for when you've got it that the what how your life will change you're focusing on the middle bit that might be painful of actually getting through the revision and doing the exam and you're overwhelming yourself and your motivation's waning um a good example i can give you from my life is that i have to do bookkeeping and accounting and i absolutely love doing it and if i sit there you know i've got to go through the shoebox of receipts and everything like that and oh it's gonna take me an hour to do this then you know i get demotivated about it if I focus on, hey, look, if I do this once a month for an hour, when my account's coming at the end of the year, it's going to be nice, smooth, I'm going to get less hassle from my accountant, and I'm going to get a really cool set of accounts because my business is growing again. So if I focus on what the end result is, it, it, it becomes more motivating for me. So yeah, if I have to focus on the middle of the hard bit, well, no, it's not going to be as enjoyable for me. But then at the same time, flipping this back to yours, is that why are you doing this exam? Why is it important to you? Why is it significant? What does it give you? And then also, say so you don't pass this exam. Does the world end? Do you stop breathing? Do you not get to take this exam again? Just think about the pressure you're putting yourself under. You don't need to. You don't need disapproval from someone else to tell you you're good enough to be a human on this planet. And if you do need to take the exam again, hey, that's cool as well. Because there's a reason why you're doing this exam. And if you haven't reached the standard this time, cool, just go learn a bit more and get to the standard that you want to. Because it's your standard, it's still Nelsie's standard, that you're looking to achieve because it's obviously going to give you something. For example, I had to do a lot of coaching qualifications to get where I am. And there were certain regulations that the training school worked with that they would follow. And they might be down in sessions for this, but I'd argue that that's not normal human natural behaviour to, to act in that way, where you're not supposed to give direction, which I do fully believe in coaching. But if you were working with me to get a certain result, then as being the expert, it's unfair if I don't use my wisdom for what I know to pass on to you because that's the element of what you're paying me for. So it's not giving you a direction. It's just informing you that this is something that happened to me in my life. Could that apply to you? And I would often get marked down for doing that. And I disagree. I think that that's what people would pay me for is to hear from an expert. And likewise, if you someone was coaching you on your exam, you would want to hear from them about you know, their expertise in that field. They might give you a certain learning style, for example, where I don't know, obviously, what your exam is, but for me, I always struggled with things like history at school because I didn't find it very interesting. But 
if you look at something like World War Two, I got interested in that because I could see it playing out as stories and I could associate, you know, little movies going on of how things happen. And that enabled me to learn better that I couldn't read textbooks because I'm dyslexic and words just jump off the page at me. I really struggled with it. But the moment I could turn it into like little action stories, my results improved because I could remember better and I could actually make sense of it, that it wasn't just me reading some theory that I could regurgitate word for word. I actually got it. And again, at school, I used to get in quite a lot of trouble because I was seen as a troublemaker because I'd always talk during class, but I wasn't talking for me. A teacher was reading something out of a book and I didn't understand it, so I'd ask a question, why? And I'd keep challenging them back. It wasn't to be awkward. It was to get my understanding of it because I'm a very pragmatic person that it either works or it doesn't work. I just need to understand why is this relevant to me. And that just got me sent out of class a lot of times, to be completely honest, which is quite funny looking back. But I just see it because it challenged the teacher's norm that they just thought people would listen to them regurgitate stuff and didn't actually want to understand why this was relevant. So um, there's quite a few points in there, Sam, and good luck with your exam. Let me know how you got on with it, because I'll be interested to hear. And I say, just relax and chill out about it. it you know, if you pass, brilliant. If you don't, hey, that's cool as well. It doesn't matter. Okay, a couple of questions to go. What's up next? It's from Momoko. And the biggest problem which makes me afraid of speaking up is I often get nervous when I'm in front of many people. Even though I have my own opinion, I care about what other people around me think about what they think of me if I say something wrong. I'm not a native English speaker, so it prevents me from being confident. Okay, well, uh, let's go on the uh, the, the speaking there. Um, some of the most popular speakers, particularly if you, like, say, had Americans listening to you, is they think anyone with an accent is more intelligent than them. So there's some great speakers out there that don't have that English as their natural tongue and prove successful. I've said before, it's not down to the words you use. It's how you come across with your body language, your tonality, and then what type of word that you use, that your body language, and if you're speaking with a passion, people will take notice of you. If you're speaking from a position of doubt, then that will come across and people won't buy from you. As I said, my career in sales... One of the biggest things is about certainty, where I had to get a certain belief that if people wanted to buy from me, they had to be damn sure that I believed in what I'm saying. So if I came and knocked on your door, tried to sell you some encyclopedias, and you turned around and said, this is a good product, and I go, mm, yeah, it's all right, well, you're not going to buy from me. As a salesperson, I've got to be in a position of, you know, that the mindset of, I've got to go in with the mindset of doing business with me is the best choice that anyone can make. That... Uh, it's amazing how different you feel because the certainty is there. And people want to make, you know, want decisions to be easy for them. And to buy from someone who's coming across as confident makes a big difference. So just forget about that, that English isn't your native tongue. That's just you telling yourself that belief. Just go for it. If you've got something you want you know, people to hear, just say about it. The other thing is that you're overthinking. You're saying that you care about what other people think of you. Well, let's just do a quick example of this now. That what am I thinking about you at the moment? Am I thinking that oh, you're not good enough because you don't speak English? Do you think that I don't care, you don't care what I think of you? Do you what I'm thinking, Momoko? I'm thinking, oh, that's an interesting name. Where are you from in the world? And then I'm thinking, I wonder what shoes you're wearing. I don't know why that popped into my head, because I'm in a suit wearing trainers at the moment, and I thought that looked quite funny on me, so I'm wondering what other people were wearing shoes, what I'd say. So I'm walking around at the moment thinking I'm wearing trainers with a suit, 
and you could see me in the street and you could be worrying about what I think of you when all I'm thinking about is what shoes am I wearing at the moment and what other shoes are other people wearing. You cannot assume anything about what anyone's thinking in the world. You only know what you're thinking. And if you want people to be influenced by you or want people to take notice of what you're saying, you've got to be damn sure about what you're saying because if you're not worth listening to and if you don't believe you're worth listening to, then why the hell should anyone else listen to you either? And I know that sounds quite harsh, but that's how it, unfortunately, is how it, the way the world is. That's, that's why some people are very engaging speakers, because they use stories. They, they use the excitement from their life to get a point across. They don't just rehash the same garbage as everyone else. I, you know, I work in the coaching industry. The amount of times I go onto a coach's website to, and it's like, oh, what is coaching? And look how many qualifications I've got. And it's like... I guarantee you, everyone listening to this call who signed up on my website, none of you signed up because I went and told you what life coaching is or how many qualifications I've got because it's not even on my website. What I put on there was you obviously came to my, found my website because you're either lacking confidence, lacking self-esteem, you've got stress and anxiety, and you, you've got worry about other people controlling you. They're the normal reasons why people come across me and, find, and work with me. And that's cool because... You, I'm talking to you about stuff that you're interested in. I'm not talking about stuff that I'm interested in that massages my ego because that's all the stuff that's in the background. It's like you don't go to a mechanic and ask them to explain to you what a mechanic is or ask them to explain to you uh, what a spanner and a hammer is because you're not interested in that. You might go to a mechanic because you've got a flat tyre and you need to know how to fix it. And so if you come to my website and it said how to fix a tyre in 60 seconds or less, you're probably going to be wetting yourself at excitement because you're going, that's exactly what I need. So think about what, you said you're afraid of speaking up in large groups. Well, think about what do those group of people want to hear? What's their message? And then take what you've got to say and make it relevant and significant to these people so when they do hear you and they hear this guy who's really passionate that's right the guy that's a bit of an assumption for me there um but it's making that assumption that you aren't worth listening to when you've got to make that assumption that you are worth listening to and if if people don't like it hey that's cool don't talk to them find the people who are interested in you for example i wouldn't be speaking to a high-powered senior manager who wants to learn more management skills because i'm talking to people about confidence and self-esteem so why would they listen to me i've got people who send me quite abusive messages when they subscribe for my list and i'm like hey it's cool if you haven't got what to say don't have to listen to me it's you know no one forced you to subscribe to my list but then there's people who do like what i teach and do like the emails that I send and do listen to me and that's cool because you're the people I want to talk to I'm not interested if you're not interested in what I'd say cool go away there's plenty of other people who are interested no one's forcing you to sit here and listen to me so uh, I hope that clears that one up for you right last question is from Stuart and obviously uh, I sent you a stream email the other day Stuart and I hope you had a good look at that but um Stuart says, I want to take a franchise that I've researched carefully and no works. I'm a full-time employed on about 38k a year, and I'm afraid of jacking my job in, and that's it. I wouldn't get a job I'm so comfortable with again, but then the job is not ideal. I can give you more details if you wish, but in my essence, that's my problem. I would see taking the franchise as taking control of my life. Hey, Stuart, the, the ultimate freedom is to set up your own business, and I've been there. I was on a similar amount of money to you in full-time, and I did jack it all in. And the the thing that 
you know, it was a big step for me at the time, but it, it was at the point where I, I cannot continue where I am right now. So whatever the consequences, I knew I had to change. And it was hard because I was used to getting a paycheck each month and a big paycheck at that. For all of a sudden, three months later, sitting there stressing and worrying about how to pay the bills. That's not an easy situation to be in. But for a good phrase I'd say is it put hairs on your chest. You, you learn that you, you're not surviving for a place of comfort. You start surviving because you've got to go back to it. And when you started your career in your first job, you probably found you were very motivated to get things done because you were trying to impress people. When you go into self-employment, you get that buzz back because it's about impressing yourself and showing you what you, you had to do. And I did learn quite a few lessons along the way, to be completely honest. And I did actually mess up my first business and had to go back into full-time work. And, you know, that, that was a kicker into the pride of, you know, I made a big deal of going to set my own company up. And God, to tell people you felt, that, that's harsh. That's, that takes a lot of resolve. But I did it because I knew that I was only doing this in the short term that I'd learned a lot of business skills and I'd understood what it took for me to set my own business up. And to do it, I knew it was going to take me a year or so. So I knew I had to go and get other work to do it because I couldn't survive without earning any money. And it didn't bother me what other people thought of me because I knew that the long-term plan is that I'm still going to have a successful business and it's going to give me the freedom to have the control of my life that I want. It just meant that at the time I had to start another game, so to say, of having this job to balance with it to fund the lifestyle I needed to get to that point and let's say there's no right or wrong of how to do these things and you can decide but what I would say to you if you're going to go into business one make sure you understand how you're going to get clients and how you turn them into paying customers and I think that's the biggest lesson that when people go into business they're all about oh I set up my website and spend hundreds of pounds and I'll do this and I'll do that and I've got to make sure I've got all my insurances in place and I've got to make sure I've got all my qualifications. And they don't focus on how they're actually going to get money into their business. And that's that's the thing why businesses go wrong, that they start trying to become big corporate empires when you're a small SME. And a smaller company is more about that people will buy from you as a person. They're not interested in the whole corporate malarkey. So don't speak to them like you're a big corporate. You're a single one-man band. And they're going to buy from you as a person. Um, there's a good example of there's uh, a pizza brand called Apache, Apache Pizzas. And you can see two of these things, that they're identical franchises. And one will go bust in about three months. And one will be more successful than other, any other pizzeria in the town. And it will be solely down to the owner of that franchisee, knowing his customers, giving that special service, knowing what they want when they come in. And it's almost you know, down the pub of what's your local, what's your know, usual, please, boss. But when they go in, they can have that relationship with the guy that they want to come back and buy more from them. So if you're going into business, make sure that you've got a little bit of marketing skills, make sure that you've got the sales skills and just think about you know, how much money you're spending on things like websites and stuff when you haven't actually started making any money yourself. When you start a business, you're like a market trader. You've got a wheel and deal to get going and then as the wheels start moving, you grow and then start bolting things on. You don't need to spend a lot of money on things like websites when you haven't started actually bringing the money in. But by all means, as I sent you an email, Stuart, so do have a look at that because there's a few other web pages and stuff I recommend you have a look at.